our Lord and God. We praise you for this day. We praise you for this moment and the joy of it. And we praise you for your holy word, which we ask will come to us with power this morning for our good and for your glory. Amen. Where do you belong? As a dual citizen, I've always found it hard to answer that question. Um, you know, the question, where do you come from? I, I come from a family split by the Atlantic Ocean, which means I don't really have a great sense of belonging to, a, to one particular place. I've always been on the move. And so I've often envied those who do have a sense of where their home is. One of my favorite songs is uh, Dougie, Dougie, uh, McLean's Caledonia. Um, and it goes like this. I don't know if you can see the changes that have come over me. In these last few days, I've been afraid that I might drift away. So I've been telling old stories, singing songs that make me think about where I come from. And that's the reason why I seem so far away today. Oh, and let me tell you that I love you, that I think about you all the time. Caledonia, you're calling me, and now I'm going home. For if I should become a stranger, you know that it would make me more than sad. Caledonia has been everything I've ever had. I'm really drawn to that song because it captures something of the, the singer's ties to his home country, something that I've not experienced myself. Where do you belong? Do you have a sense of home? And even if you do, and more significantly, how does being a Christian alter your ties to a place, perhaps to your family or to wider society? Well, 1 Peter, which we're going to be journeying through over the next few months, is a general letter addressed to a mixed and displaced community of Christians, to Christians who live and move and work amongst people in various places and settings, but who don't quite fit or belong or know how to live and, and do good in a society with different, even conflicting values. The letter assumes that some may even have been suffering, suffering discrimination at the hands of others, and perhaps, perhaps the state itself. But it's not just a letter for first century Christians. It's a letter for the church today. And as Christians under increasing pressure, living in communities and a society where being open about our faith is seen as weird or in some places even extreme, this letter will provide a great deal of hope and guidance for us. Hope and guidance not just to survive and endure, but to live well and to do good. The passage today, 1 Peter 1, verses 1 to 12, is in some way introductory because it's an, it's an overture, um, a summary, if you like, of all the themes coming in the letter. However, in its own right, it's jam-packed, full of teaching about God, the church, and our salvation. It provides the theological foundation for, for living as God's holy people in the world. Unfortunately, we certainly don't have time or capacity to take it all in today. And so instead, we're going to look at it in, in just two parts. First, there is a word to hear, 
That's the introduction, um, one, one and two. And a song to sing, a word to hear, and a song to sing. The word to hear is this. You're not at home, but you do belong to God. The letter begins in a typical way, describing the writer and the recipients. The writer, Peter, is the one and only Simon Peter, the brother of Andrew, part of the original 12. At one time, he was the, the self-confident Peter, the one who was prepared to go into battle with Jesus. Yet he became the humbled Peter, who wept bitterly when he denied knowing Jesus three times. Who was restored by Jesus after the resurrection and who was commissioned by the Lord Jesus. That's why at the beginning of this letter, Peter describes himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ. That's not him bragging, I'm an apostle. No, no, no. The word apostle means something like ambassador, delegate, messenger. An apostle is someone who carries the message of another. It's a humble status. Peter is acknowledging that his letter doesn't come by his own authority. Chiefly, it comes from the one he represents, Christ himself. And so this is a word from Christ, a word from Christ to the church. Well, who is this word to? Well, the, the recipients are described using three striking words. Peter says, to God's elect exiles, strangers scattered in the world. Uh, your version might be somewhat different um, from um, the one I've just read, but elect, exiles, scattered. In those words, we see already something of the tension in this letter. The people are described as both elect, that is, specially chosen, and exiles, refugees, pilgrims, far from home. They are seen as one entity and yet at the same time scattered all over the place. It's somewhat paradoxical. They both belong and they don't belong. They have a place, but not in the land they're living in. It's a bit like being a resident alien in a country, not your own. Uh, just this week I met a guy who's here in the UK on a temporary work visa meaning he can stay in the UK for a while, but not indefinitely. And I can't help but think of the many thousands of displaced Afghans forced to flee, who now find themselves as refugees and strangers in an unfamiliar place. For most of us, that's unfathomable. Not just fleeing your war-torn country, losing your home, your belongings, perhaps leaving some of your family members behind, but arriving in a strange and unfamiliar land, exhausted, homeless, helpless. You know, of all people, Christians should be the first to have concern for refugees. If that was the experience of our predecessors in the faith, who were exiled from their land, left without a home, without a temple. If you want to read a, a raw and honest account of what it was like for God's uh, people to live in exile, read the book of Lamentations. And figuratively, it was also the experience of many first century Christians. If you look down at 
At verse 1 again, you see mention of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Those are titles of Roman provinces, part of the Roman Empire, which is a vast region. As we'll see in future weeks, that left them open to harm, threats, and evil from others. So Peter draws on the the Israelite experience in the Old Testament to describe their scattered and vulnerable existence. But you know the same is true for us. Christians today are pilgrims, resident aliens, dispersed and living in a society we don't permanently belong to. I don't know about you, but I really feel that sometimes. There's about 15,000 people who live in our parish alone. And even with the new seating arrangements today, um, which is absolutely wonderful, we're nowhere near that number on a Sunday. And when we leave, we go home to our uh, various places scattered around the parish and beyond. But even if you've lived in Banbury your whole life, it can still feel like you're not at home here. Because no community on earth can be your, ho- your permanent home as a Christian. And yet, Peter assures these scattered Christians, a mixture of Jews and Gentile believers living across the Roman Empire, that they are not cast-offs. They're not an afterthought or a side note in God's plans for the world. No, he calls them God's elect, those who are chosen. Chosen by whom? By God, the Father, he says. Chosen when? Well, chosen before the beginning of time, in the fore, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Chosen how? Well, by the inseparable work of God the Holy Trinity. In the foreknowledge of God the Father, uh, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, Um, for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood. Chosen why? Well, to be obedient to him, yes, and sprinkled with his his blood. And that sprinkling image comes from Exodus 24. After the Exodus, when people were dispersed um, in the Old Testament and assembled at Sinai, a sacrifice was made. And half the blood of that sacrifice, uh, which was described as the blood of the covenant, was sprinkled on the altar. The other half, Moses sprinkled on the people. Now, I'm not going to demonstrate that today, you'll be assured. It was a sign that they were specially chosen, that they specially belonged to the Lord. They were the object of his love, chosen by God, God's elect. Well, how much more can we be sure of God's commitment and love towards us as those who have been sprinkled with the blood of Christ. The once for all, final, perfect sacrifice on behalf of his people. Jew and Gentile believers, both cleansed. It's very easy to think how small and unimportant we are. Helpless, insignificant, inconsequential in the larger narrative of God's salvation, in the larger happenings of the world outside, especially when life is hard. 
Who would care about a, a, a gathering of a few Christian believers in the Cherwell Valley? Well, the answer is God does. God really does. So when it feels difficult to coexist with those who don't share the same values and purpose to life, when you feel not quite at home where you are in the present, when you feel isolated in, in a world that seems unbothered by Christ, before you do anything, remember who you are and who you belong to. You're not at home, but you do belong to God. Just notice how there are, there are no commands, no imperatives at the beginning of this letter until after this, this big first section. Um, chapter 1, verse 13 is the first command. And so before we get to any instructions about what it means for holy living, which will come in the letter, Peter begins with God and with God's grace towards us. Grace and peace be yours in abundance, he says. As Christians living in an unfamiliar world, in a climate of fear and trial, the first thing we need is, well, the first thing we, we, we need is, is not, this is what you should do. I got my words right. Tempting though it is to adopt some solution to fix all our problems, and I'm sure we all feel that at the moment with everything going on. Rather, it is, this is who God is and what God has done. And so after the greeting, Peter begins the letter uh, properly with a wonderful doxology, an expression of praise for God, describing Christian salvation. That's why we've, I've called it a song to sing. He begins, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, in the car on the way back home from a, a conference this week, Steve Short, our other curate, was schooling me in some music, which he described as providing part of the soundtrack to his life. I hope I'm not embarrassing him here. But the, um, the album was Pink Floyd's The Dark Side of the Moon, which I'm ashamed to say I'd never listened to properly before. And even though the album is um, some 48 years old, uh, Steve's given me something new to listen to and to take in and to enjoy, and I must say I really did. I know Andy Johnson's a big fan at the back of Pink Floyd. There we go. <laughs> he's, he's excited. <laughs> um, but what Peter gives to the church in verses 3 to, to 12 is a song to sing. However, it's more like Doogie McLean's love song to his home country than the psychedelic experimental rock of Pink Floyd. We could entitle it Our Home in God because it's a song about our homecoming to him. Listen to this from verse 3 again. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Let's just spend a few moments dwelling on the words of this song. In his great mercy, he has given. Christian salvation is 100% from God. 
and it stems from who he is. He is merciful. That is to say, God does not hold our rebellion, our sin, and our weakness against us. In his mercy, he forgives. He treats us gently. In Christ, he withholds his wrath from us. Um, Those beautiful words at the end of Micah, which Annabelle read, I thought I'd read again. Just listen to this. Who is a God like you? who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance. You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. But even much more than that, listen to what Peter says. In his great mercy... He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You may remember from John chapter 3 when we went through John, how Jesus spoke to Nicodemus about being born again. Well, Peter's drawing on that same concept here, regeneration. Before we turn ourselves towards God, he makes us alive. He makes us alive through that same power by which Christ was risen from the dead. In fact, our lives are so bound up with Christ that his resurrection is our resurrection. Incidentally, that's why baptism is such an important sign. It's a picture of how we are buried with Christ in his death and how we are raised with him. But God's mercy doesn't run out on us after he makes us alive. It expands into our whole Christian lives. He gives us a living hope, an ongoing hope. Experiencing his mercy is and should be an ongoing reality for us. Um, I was reading uh, one author on, on this text and I found it so moving and beautiful, I I thought I'd read it. It comes from um, C.E.V. Cranfield. He says this, that the first Easter, when the resurrection happened, opened up a new world of unexpected beauty and splendor. Those early Christians were like someone who has climbed a mountain through cloud and driving rain, and all the way up has no view. And then suddenly, when he's at the summit... The cloud disperses, and there is unveiled before him a wide and glorious expanse of country that he has never seen before. The most striking characteristic, he says, that distinguished the early Christians from their pagan neighbors was their hope. That expanse of just seeing the world anew. Now, could the same be said of us? that we have such confidence in God's mercy and in the power of the resurrection that what defines us above all else is our hope. Our hope that our salvation, past, present, and future, is utterly secured by God in Christ, such that we just see the world differently, expectantly, 
uh, expandingly, if that's a word, um, <laughs> optimistically even, such that we have hope in the face of uncertainty, hope in the face of suffering, hope in the face of discrimination, hope in the face of insult, hope in the face of COVID, and hope in the face of death. Listen as Peter goes on, verse 4. He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. During my education of Pink Floyd in the car, back to that, Steve, uh, Steve mentioned how uh, the band eventually fell apart over money. And uh, the band is still one of the most successful of all time, but they had different attitudes towards money. In fact, I, I think I'm right in remembering that one of the band members indicated that he won't give any of his money to his children. Uh, he'll buy them a home so they have somewhere to live. But he said he wants them to earn their own reward. Now, the idea of inheritance can be a sticky subject in families. But the idea of inheritance would have been at the forefront of um, th that Old Testament uh, of ancient Israel, at the forefront of every mind, of every man, woman, uh, boy, and girl. As they wandered through the desert for 40 years, their hope was in the promise that the Lord would indeed give them the land of Canaan as their inheritance. They couldn't see it. They didn't know when it would come. But in view of his mercy, which rescued them from slavery in Egypt, they simply had to trust that God would be faithful to his covenant promises. And wonderfully, he was. But the inheritance described here for us is not just a land that can be ruined by invading armies or wrecked because of the corruption of the people. The inheritance promised here, which Peter declares to both Jews and Gentiles in Christ, is far, far more. It's described as four things in verse 4. It'll never perish. It'll be permanent, lasting forever. Number two, it will never spoil. It will be incorruptible. Nothing will ever ruin it. Number three, it will never fade. It won't lose its value. The light won't dim over time. And number four, it's kept in heaven for us. That is, it's secure. It's as secure as Christ's very presence in heaven. Moreover, verse five, we're, we're, we are also protected by God's power until that time. So the inheritance is kept for us, and we're kept for that inheritance. Through our faith in him, we will be safeguarded uh, in heaven with Christ until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed. It's, a, it's absolutely wonderful language describing this inheritance. So what is this inheritance? That's the key question. Well, again, it's not simply a land. It's not even a, a new city or, or even a renewed earth, glorious though those things will be. 
It is, as verse 9 puts it, the salvation of our souls and all that encompasses. The salvation of our souls, deliverance from sin, resurrection life, the end of suffering, unmeasured joy, and most crucially, all of that brought about by, in the presence of God, our Savior. We mustn't forget that there is a heavenward focus to the Christian life. There is a Godward focus to the Christian life. What we experience now is not all there is. Though, as Mike shared last week, our gathering together today is a reflection of that and, and a taste of what it will be like. The suffering we face does not define who we are or what we will be. There is something infinitely better than the end of COVID to look forward to. And it's by dwelling on that, remembering that, and celebrating that, and the God who brings that about, that we will find joy in suffering. We're refined by suffering. We love God and one another despite our sufferings. And we live by faith in something beyond our suffering. Peter again. In all this, he says, you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith the salvation of your souls. I'm sorry that we don't have um, more time or space to cover all the verses of this passage this morning, but there's no way that we can do them justice in 25 minutes. There's no way we can do our God that justice in 25 minutes. As Peter writes in verse 12, these things are so deep and profound that even angels long to look into these things. That being said, we will have lots and lots of time over the coming weeks to dwell on our God, on his mercy, his love, his grace towards us, the salvation he brings, so that we might live well as scattered exiles in the present, a time loaded with pain, trials, and danger. And as Annabelle mentioned, in Grow Groups, we'll be looking for renewal in God together using some new material written to help us learn and grow uh, following this long and difficult period in the life of our church. For now, today, let's close in prayer. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. Our Lord and God, we praise and thank you for who you are, that you are merciful, that you are gentle with us, you are kind, 
uh, that you love us and that you have made us the object of your love. Thank you for calling us to, our, to yourself. Thank you that we can call ourselves um, your elect, your special people, though we are strangers in the world. And we pray, our Lord and God, that you, that your grace, that the salvation you bring would so capture us and define us that we might respond to you in a way that brings immeasurable joy as we um, live in the present. Uh, please be with us all as we go from here. Um, please imprint your word upon us. In Jesus' name, amen.